0: sometimes. Sorry it took us so long um, but this one we promise you is worth waiting for. Um, I think most of us can agree that uh, the last couple of years have been a bit of a challenge but one of the positives that I think most people have experienced in their lives is it's brought into focus what's most important Um, and for most of us that's our health both in terms of the way we live uh, and our mental health, uh, and by extension, obviously, how we want to live our lives and, and the types of lives that we want to live. In the world of real estate and homes, we feel this. It's manifested itself in the premium on space and, and, and to a greater extent on how you live in that space, the design of that space. Um, within that, um, you know how um, the spaces that we live in impact the world at large and, 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 and others around us. Um, and this is why we're uh, thrilled to have uh, Paul and Daniel join us. Uh, Paul and Daniel both work at the Architect Builder Collaboration Inc. That specialize in architecting and building spaces that are healthy, not only for the ha- inhabitants of those spaces, uh, but also for the, um, the, the, the world that we live in. Uh, at the core of the firm's principles are green architecture, obviously, uh, low carbon and ze- net zero planning and sustainability. Um, and they sub up their ethos as architecture for a healthy planet. Welcome, Paul and Daniel.
1: Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, it's
0: it's uh, it's a privilege to be with uh, thought leaders in the space. Definitely. Yeah. Um,
2: So Edward Salad uh, Salad did a lot of terms that are for many interchangeable, but obviously represent different design considerations when being practiced. Now, um, our introduction uh, to each other was uh, a mutual client, where the project required touching on many of these design considerations to meet the renovation and uh, building objectives. Um, Can you explain the process of working with this particular client? <laughs> Sorry, to build something that delivered on their environmental objectives.
1: Sure, uh, I'll I'll take that one because uh, that was uh, that <laughs> one was one of your point, projects, point of mine. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, prior to join, to joining with Daniel, um, I ran a firm uh, called Sustainable. And this particular project that we're talking about was, in fact, the second house renovation that mm-hmm. we had done for this client. So they knew us. We knew them. Right. Uh, they, th- they realized that they wanted to do in their second project with us. They wanted to go further than they had, than they had gone in the first right. when yeah. they realized yeah. that that was possible. They had come to us rather tentatively for the first, hoping that their sustainability yeah. and accessibility needs could be met, when they saw the relative ease with which we manage those things right. within the context of a full house renovation, mm-hmm. they got more ambitious mm-hmm. for the second yes. one. Yes. And, uh, and I'm very proud to say that we were able to deliver on what they wanted in terms of you know, making their house more airtight, better insulated, more healthy to live in from an air quality perspective mm-hmm. Uh, saving massive amounts of energy Energy, and delivering to them a home that suited their very particular needs, Mm -hmm. which were centered around a lot of accessibility. So we showed them that these ideas are not mutually exclusive.
0: I think that's a really interesting and relevant point for anyone listening, because uh, I think if you're you're starting to think about renovation and you, you want to be environmentally conscious in its design... Um, the temptation is to think that you, maybe you have to go to the nth degree to, to, to do something that's valid, if you will. And the truth is there's a lot of grey in there and uh, different things you can do to, 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 to be environmentally responsible plus have the type of home that, that you want to be in. So that's, that's super interesting. Um, I mean, I think that, um, you know, given the options that most people would like The idea of using materials generally in their design that are sustainable and environmentally friendly, um, and want to reduce their carbon footprint, but maybe struggle to understand what will make the biggest difference and what they can afford within that. So, um, to me, when I look at this from a sort of a a, a, um, you know an entry level, if you will, the most doable and less onerous of those tasks is to literally lower your home's carbon footprint. I mean, where do you start with somebody who has that goal
3: well it's quite easy here in Ontario the simplest thing is to take your foot off the gas stop burning (laughs) fossil fuels okay for heat and the reason I mention Ontario because we're blessed with a relatively clean electrical grid you know one can debate the greenness of nuclear power but in its operation day-to-day it does not create greenhouse gas emissions Mm -hmm. And most of our grid is free of greenhouse gas emissions. <clears throat> so the simple move to swap out your existing gas furnace or gas boiler for an electric equivalent reduces your carbon footprint by something in the order of 80 to 90 percent. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And, and, and so a house that, that uses a, a, a bunch of gas for heating, cooking, even your barbecue at the back. I mean, what, what does that mean for somebody if they've got a sort of retrofit
1: so retrofitting a house is exactly you know the 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 dilemma that I'm faced with you know today with Mm -hmm. my own house Um, more than uh, more than 15 years ago I renovated my house to be as environmentally friendly as possible and back then going all electric was both expensive and dirty because in Ontario at that time we burned a lot of coal yeah. to produce electricity, mm-hmm. yeah. which we don't anymore. Yes. Right. So the cleaner option then was to put everything on natural gas because that was cleaner. Right. Well, that's not true today. So now I'm faced with the with the dilemma of electrifying my completely gas house <laughs> right from right. you know right from the, the the heating system, the water heating system, yeah. the gas fireplace, the piped in gas barbecue, the gas stove, the gas dryer like yeah, if I could yeah, make yeah, it yeah, gas 15 years, like years ago house. I did. Yeah. And now I have to look at retrofitting all of that to make it all electric.
0: I mean, what does that mean in terms of the the basic uh, structure of the house? I mean,
1: how disturbing is that? It's going to be relatively undisturbing. Now, now, I'm speaking from the point of view of a person who... It Take, to... Takes apart people's houses <laughs> and yeah. The yeah, yeah, the yeah, right the whole time. So my, my my level of disturbance is uh, is quite different than a lot of other people's. But it, it will require breaking open some finished spaces in the basement, like the basement ceiling and stuff like that, to right. re to re pipe some things. But what I'm looking at doing, because currently my house is completely served by radiators for heat, right, and mm-hmm. I have no air conditioning because. Fifteen years ago, I was such a purist and was saving energy yeah. as opposed to carbon because <clears throat> back then we thought saving energy was what we needed to do, not reduce carbon. I got it. Yeah. And, so, and so I have no air conditioning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to convert the second floor uh, to all electric with an air source heat pump yeah. so that I get the benefit of, of, uh, of air conditioning on the second floor. But then the ground floor, because the ground floor is half radiant floor heating mm-hmm. and all the basement is radiant floor heating yeah. and, and old cast iron radiators in the original part of the house on the ground floor, I'm going to move the new modern thin-walled radiators from the second floor mm-hmm. down to the first. So I'll have an air-to-water heat pump mm-hmm. servicing the ground floor and the basement. So again, my, my house is going to be Rather an experiment of a hybrid of systems yeah. to help others figure out how to do it for now. Their own now, purposes. now,
0: what, you're living there when this is happening.
1: I will be living there when this is happening, but I have a tolerance that's perhaps beyond others. Yes. So, so Not is it realistic? Well,
0: what, what, what's the? Um, it's hard to quantify, I suppose. But is it feasible for a family to stay in their home while this is transfer is happening?
1: Well. Because most of the transfer is to the heating system, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that transfer summer. over this coming summer. Got it. Right. So I'm not going to miss out on that. Uh, you know, I might miss out on hot water for a couple of days. I might miss out on the ability to cook for a couple of days. But hey, you know, there's plenty of takeout. And if I yeah. really need a shower, I can probably <laughs> go talk to a neighbor Sure. and it'll work out fine. Yeah, that's,
0: that, 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 that makes sense. Uh, so seasonal planning is everything.
1: Correct. Okay, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do this in November.
0: And and what happens if you um, your ambitions are you know let, let's go slightly higher up the what I understand at least to be the order of things, and if you aren't, you, you've kind of done those things. You've responded to the way the uh, the way the energy is at its least uh, damaging. Um, and you want to aim a little higher and you're going for a net zero approach I mean what's the and what's the recommendation for the average person I would imagine it's circumstance based
3: yeah and it is you're quite right it is very different for a new build versus a renovation I'm going to assume that You know, your listeners being interested in real estate in Toronto, we're looking mostly at renovations and Mm -hmm. additions. This goes on. There are very few full teardowns and new builds. Right. So I'll speak to that. And although I said, you know, the simple move was to fuel switch. The first step, though, is to actually stop the leaks in your house. It's plug the holes in the house that are there. And there's a whole variety of ways to do it. But one of the best tools on the market to start with is an energy audit and these are becoming quite popular because the government is promoting them, subsidizing Mm -hmm. them, and they unlock somewhere in the order of $5,000 of subsidies that you can use to help green your home in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. So we find the best measure is tighten up the building envelope. We speak of the outer walls and roof as the envelope of the building. Mm -hmm. Find the leaks, find the holes, and tighten them up. And then you can move progressively beyond that by upgrading windows, for example. Uh, perhaps adding insulation you know there are many steps one can take but the first one is plug the leaks in yeah the house
0: the obvious start I remember yeah. when we spoke to our mutual client I think you put in a PVE and uh, uh, the, the uh, a pneumatic elevator and yes. I, I, I uh, when when I was speaking to them her. Uh, I, I said, well, where, how does this thing go up and down? I said, don't you normally house the, 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 the generator right. on the outside? And her response was, not in this instance. You may, maybe you can elaborate why that is then as it relates to envelopes.
1: Well, yeah, yeah that, was, that was exactly it. And as Daniel says, uh, you know, when, we're, when we're renovating a house... You know, the first thing that we look at is plugging up the existing leaks. Yeah. Mm. The second thing we do is not put more holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so so we find ways to internalize all of the items that so many of us are used to externalizing. Right. One of one of the key ones uh, today is the dryer vent. Okay. You know, here you have this four-inch round hole in your exterior wow. wall that you're You're heating air, you're using energy to heat air Mm. in this box called a dryer, and then you're pushing it outside. Bonkers. Yes, (laughs) that is. Indeed.
0: When you you analyze the (laughs) most rudimentary things that almost everybody does, and you think about (sighs) how logical that is, it it really is staggering. I had never really thought about it in that that way. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: So we look at simple things like that, and today, fortunately, there is what is called a condensing dryer. So it does not make that hole in the exterior, and it keeps all of that air within the building envelope, within the mm. within right. the insulated envelope. Mm. Makes it sense. just it just extracts the moisture from it.
0: Well, I don't know if any of our listeners can tell, but we both uh, come from Europe, and I remember yes. that but in my family when they first, I mean, a. Getting a, a, a clothes dryer in the UK was kind of oh, a shishi thing yeah. to do when we were kids. Like well, not most, everybody, most everybody hung them outside had, and air dried yeah. them,
2: or but, on the radiators, and then they would like come off all crispy. Yeah, yeah,
0: but 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 uh, what I do remember is the first time that my mother, hello mum, uh, got one. Um, it was a condensing one. So when we came to North America and we saw this massive machine oh. that. Had a whole, and we're going back some time. I mean, over twenty years ago, well over twenty years ago, that that, that, that was the norm in Europe.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, my mum, hello, mum,
2: grew up in <laughs> South London. Yeah. Okay.
0: Left in
3: the fifties, although she still has a distinctive accent. Yeah. And she remembers outdoor plumbing. Yeah. Okay. Yes. As the norm. Yeah. And what she referred to as the geezer. On the wall, which was the on demand water heater. Yeah. And this was around in the 1930s and 40s. So yeah. it's really interesting that things that are old become new again.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Yeah. I think it's in, 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 in English houses, at least in the UK, I think it's a function of space as well. It's smaller, smaller, you know, um, uh, the uh, uh, condensing uh, dryer is, is smaller and it's normally combined with your washing machine. So it's a multifunctional yeah.
2: sort of thing. Cool. But your clothes would still take a hell of a lot time to dry.
0: But from from a, from making an immediate impact, it's those kind of common sense things that that, that really get the ball running. Okay. Um,
2: now the importance of environmental uh, friendliness in planning materials. Um, and construction obviously isn't a new one so um, and one of uh, one that many first-time buyers um, have been aware of all their lives now um, has there been any direct changes in building code to help adoption of like green low-carbon building practices in the last little while
1: I will start this one off because mm-hmm. I'm much less politically wise than Daniel is. Um, my short answer to that is I wish. Right. Uh, my <laughs> my unpacked answer to that <laughs> is uh, yes. The building code makes you know increasingly more stringent energy requirements as time goes on. Right. In my opinion, nowhere near stringent enough. Right, Uh, But Mm. there's a lot of pushback from the construction industry on making any sort of change. The construction Mm -hmm. industry is very conservative and Mm. doesn't like change. Mm. And so that's where the pushback comes from. Um, I certainly wish that there was a lot more emphasis on not only the energy that is going to be used, but emphasis on the materials that are used in order to save that energy. Right, And I'll just give a very quick example. Um, most of us are still convinced that the problem is the use of energy, that we use too much energy. But as Daniel outlined, the now that we have a relatively very clean electricity a, a grid, grid yeah. mm-hmm. the use of energy is not the problem. The way energy is produced is the problem. So if That's we're true. not burning fossil fuels to create the energy, and this is a place where Ontario and Quebec and Manitoba are much further ahead than other provinces like Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Nova Scotia, just to name the three bad ones in Canada, okay. Okay. that have the dirtiest grids because they burn coal or other yeah, fossil to, fuels to, to, yeah. create, to create the electricity. And so we now understand that our real target is carbon, is putting carbon into the atmosphere, putting these greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, if we're using materials to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, mm-hmm. we should use materials that do not put greenhouse gases in the atmosphere in but, their manufacture. Got it. Right. So anything that comes from the petrochemical industry a no-no. should be red listed. Should got be it. a no no. But it's not.
2: Now, just thinking about it, and I, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, when we've tried to do a little bit of work. At our, in our house, um, construction. There's been a lot of uh, material uh, supply shortages. How has that impacted you during COVID in terms of your business? I
3: think we've all had to adapt, and you know we are, you know, despite what you might hear in our voices now, we're not purists about this. <laughs> we're very committed. You know, our tagline is fighting climate change with affordable green design. So right. we're very committed right. to things that you know, 80% of the population can adopt and affect change at scale. So we have to be flexible. And a great example is, um, Paul's talked about low carbon in materials. Well, wood fiber is one of the lowest carbon, and some might argue, in fact, that you're sequestering carbon.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, there's manufacturing
3: inputs and things. But, you know, there's some great supplies in Europe, wood fiber insulation products. But there's a company in Quebec, MSL Feeb, that produces this lovely, wood panel that replaces plywood and OSB cladding on your wall Mm -hmm. and insulation on the outside with a single product that is wood fiber structurally sound insulation it's an inch and a half thick it has an R value of four called Sono uh, Eco4 great product about six months, we spec it on all our walls now, about six months ago Mm -hmm. we were told by one of our builders that the Facility in Quebec has temporarily suspended production because of supply chain issues. Ugh. Yeah, they yeah. use FSC-certified recycled wood fiber, and they were running short right. on it. Maybe we're not using enough Amazon boxes right now to feed into the feedstock <laughs> or something. But so wow. you know, we have. To I doubt adapt. that's it. Yeah. Yes, most neighborhoods. Yes we are. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> well, let's start recycling them into insulation. So, you know, we, we adapt and we reverted to our older green standard, which was a layer of mm. plywood and a layer of mineral yeah. wool semi rigid insulation, which is still less carbon intense than, you know, the ubiquitous blue and pink styrofoam you see everywhere. Yeah. So, there are degrees of it. It has to be available to the builder. Yeah. It can be yeah. the greatest green product in the world. If you have to import it from Austria or California, it's not going to get the mass uptake something you can buy at Home Depot
2: yeah yeah it it's sounds get to, a lot more expensive it right? sounds
0: to me that the um, the future of um, your firm um, is in the sort of r- common sense rational applying of things that make a difference right um, and therefore more appealing to more people which kind of leads me on to a, a when I when I think about the design considerations and how you work with your prospective clients, how you make that jump between what we know when we work with people that that do big renovations is mm-hmm. an aesthetic consideration, uh, a set, if you will, that they want. They're more worried about do I do granite or marble mm-hmm. or quartz, right? Than um, yes, than than uh, um, the, the, than maybe the the, the fundamentals. Of um, what they're living in, but it sounds to me like there's an intelligent jump that can be made between all of those things when you're when when or, or a bridge that can be created so you're doing something that's environmentally responsible but still meets on um, maybe some of the aesthetic considerations that that, that um, people have. Is 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 that is it fair to say that that that's within the scope of what you do more part of what you talk to clients about than than just maybe um, becoming a net zero home or, or, or a completely green home?
3: Uh, absolutely. I right. mean, our starting point is understanding what our clients' needs and wishes are. Mm-hmm. There's always a discovery process that every project starts with. And, you know, a key aspect of a sustainable building is one that's well-loved right. and kept For decades yeah you know we did some work recently in a hundred year old building my own house dates from 1905 Mm -hmm. so we don't keep these buildings around if we don't love them Mm -hmm. so you know when I walk in the door at night I want to open the door and come in and feel like oh it's so good to be home right if you don't have that feeling then we failed at our job yeah all of the material considerations the details we're talking about we do that in the background Mm-hmm. honestly we do it whether our clients ask for it or not and mm-hmm. some of them want to know more about it and some less mm-hmm. and we're happy to accommodate.
0: Yeah I mean I can only speak for um, our, our mutual client connection
2: Yeah,
0: um, and that's apparent yeah. when you speak to them it's they're tremendously proud and they want to make sure that anybody that comes into that home is, is aware that it's got a, it's got a steel roof on it and it's the studs are, 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 are made of I think they're made of steel at the back they're not wood studs so that they're, they they're resistant to any environmental well, adverse environmental conditions. So I mean it's not the, the the conversation isn't around the orthodoxy of green, low carbon it's it's there in everything and, and she's proud of the home. So, and a f- proud. Oh, so proud, so proud of it, it. and the, the 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 functioning of it is is the added extra.
1: Yeah, one of the one of the other comments made very early on by our mutual client uh, friend, really, yes. uh, more more than client. One of the one of the early earliest comments was that you could you could taste the quality of the air inside the house. Yes, mm. that that yes. was that was what she was most proud of or most excited about because she had never lived in a place before that had had that level of air quality and it wasn't only through the mechanical filtering it was because the house was not built of toxic I, I get, I'm so politically unwise, was not built of toxic garbage. Yes, <laughs> it's okay, yeah, yeah. It didn't smell like a new car when you walked in yeah, it. didn't have that, that new car smell. Isn't is that funny? Is, like the worst thing in the world is like, we've got miles. a new car smell. Yeah. Like it's
0: aspirational. It's yeah. like, that's the opposite <laughs> of what you want? It's, it's really it's plastic. the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, what we're talking about is is kind of a well-established um issue in home building or or way of thinking but it's not the hot topic right now what the hot topic is is the lack of homes in specifically in Ontario I think we've got one of the lowest uh, uh homes uh ratios in the G7 um yeah so so our, our premier is uh, has, has, has kind of gone out there with some quite ambitious targets of 1.5 million new homes to be built in the province um, in the next 10 years to me and and, and uh, what I'm understanding on how this is going to get facilitated which is kind of Giving more power, I guess, back to or to developers uh, by streamlining the the processes of approval um, and um, and opening up land, I guess, for 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 more homes to be low rise and high rise to be built. As a layman, it sounds to me like the consideration set about what's built and how it's built will become adversely affected in the mad rush. To satisfy the need for more homes for Ontarians, um, how do you think would be the impact of that in terms of develop, uh, building and architecting environmentally responsible homes for people?
3: Paul is fond of saying, if you're trying to fill a hole, the first thing you need to do is stop digging it any deeper. Okay. So environmentally, we are trying to fill a big (laughs) hole here. And Mm. I am concerned that more business as usual, more building as usual to building code minimums is simply making the hole deeper and Mm. deeper and deeper. And that all of these new homes, the day they're built, will be ripe and need to be retrofit if we're going to meet our 2030 and 2050 targets. Right. 2030, for people who don't know, there's been a target set that all new buildings built after 2030 will be carbon neutral. In fact, the Model National Building Code says you won't use fossil fuel for heating.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow.
3: We'll see if that gets implemented by the provincial governments. 2050 is the date most governments have set for carbon neutrality, for net zero. Mm -hmm. Toronto, being very ambitious, one of three large cities in North America, has set their target at 2040. So we have a target in Toronto that in 18 years from now, every building or the city as a whole will be net zero
0: but that's, that's renovated and new buildings
3: exactly yeah. the point Outlandish. new buildings are a small piece of it in 2050 we estimate that 80% of the buildings that we will have in Toronto in 2050 are already existing today
0: correct so
3: right. all the new buildings yes. account for only 20% of that yeah if we even if we had a building code which we don't that required new buildings to be carbon zero near-zero emissions, net-zero, whatever terminology we want to use. We don't. Mm. Even if we had that, that would only impact those 20%. Right. So the real challenge and opportunity is those 80%, all the buildings that exist today. And there is, sadly, even less requirement in the building code. And ultimately, it is political, and I will stick my neck out, until the province changes the building code we are not going to move the needle on most of the industry. There are a few enlightened builders and developers, we're working with some of them, planning demonstration communities, spoke with a small retail investor yesterday out in Kitchener looking at building a couple of backyard homes, garden suites, Mm -hmm. and they are interested in making it green as long as it meets their pro forma targets. So that's our challenge
0: to work Mm. with them. But
3: Mm. those people, unfortunately, are a few environments. There's a real
0: challenge there to meet the provincial requirement to build these 1.5 million homes and, and sustain that kind of responsibility and design. But, you know, the contract between... Um, people that own homes and green initiatives, low carbon initiatives, I think has become stronger because people are super aware of it. And I know that you know it must be instances where uh, people are coming to you almost pre-educated around um, uh, around how they 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 involve this in their renovations. Um, is is that is that a fair comment to make?
3: We we certainly get that. I mean we're. We're known for green building, but we do spend a lot of our time educating people and with pleasure. And, you know, there was a lovely uh, distinction made between optimism and hope,
2: mm-hmm. you know, where
3: optimism is when you know things are going your way yeah. and hope is when you don't. <laughs> the optimist sits back with his feet up on the desk, you know, knowing he went to the great school and everything's coming along. The person who's hopeful, you know, rolls up her sleeves and gets to work. Yeah. And so I am very hopeful about the future. What gives me hope are clients that we have, for example, who are private sector, for-profit driven developers of, and wait for this, affordable rental housing. Yeah. In the outskirts, up in the Muskokas, so committed to delivering properties at 80% of market rent. So we're working with them on affordable, they have to be, very affordable ways of greening the building and lowering the carbon footprint. Getting the concrete out, getting the foam out of their buildings. And we're having success Mm -hmm. with that. So I believe if projects like that can reduce their carbon footprint, then there's a lot of hope for what we can do as we build new buildings. But there's the whole question of what do you do with the existing buildings?
1: And this is a place uh, where Daniel and I uh, pride ourselves very much on finding the opportunities within the challenge. Um, What are the opportunities? How can we go ahead? I'm currently spending a lot of my volunteer time in my own neighborhood here in Toronto, Mm -hmm. working with fellow homeowners to figure out how we can retrofit our homes, which were quite poorly built in the 1914-15 era, yeah, yeah. Um, how do we renovate these homes to become uh, you know, more more energy conscious and certainly more carbon conscious? And one of the key points of opportunity that, that we're finding is when a property changes hands at the point of sale. Right. Because usually the new homeowner is interested mm-hmm. in renovating the house to meet their needs. And that's, a primary opportunity to also look at the building envelope and make sure that, as we talked about earlier, to make sure that we plug up as many of those leaks as possible right. as part of the renovation that they're going yeah. to do anyway. So that's the kind of place where we find the opportunity within the challenge.
0: Perfect. Yeah, it seems like there's there's, two, uh, there's, there's there's two types of homes. There's the ones that have to be built to uh, accommodate people. They need places to live. And there's what people who we own homes or are building homes again from scratch uh, can do to um, you know, build beautiful homes and still be environmentally responsible. So uh, the future is rosy after all
3: future is green and, <laughs> and the future frog is green. was wrong <laughs> it, is
0: easy
1: going green. it is easy being green definitely
0: well i think we'll leave it at that um guys thank you very much for your time it's much appreciated uh until next time we have been the toronto real estate podcast bye for now